All right, welcome to another episode of Out from the Cube. <clears throat> um, I'm your host, George Evian, with co-host now, Joe Quinn. Joe, how are you doing uh, today? This morning, great, you keeping man. warm? I'm great, yeah, staying warm. This? Yes, yes. weekly weather uh, heated up a little bit over the last couple of days. Been been kind of nice. Yes. People are actually wearing shorts. They felt like it's like a 40-degree weather change, you know, so... Well, on that on that subject, we uh, some of you know if you've been listening to the episode a little bit. Um, I started a health challenge January first. Now it's February nineteenth when we're recording this, um, so I am fifty days into my health challenge of this seventy five hard Andy Frisella thing, and I just bring that up simply because it was twenty two degrees out today when I went running. <laughs> so part of that workout is having to be outside, and hey, so um, accountability too. So you do you you brought it up every week, so every. Just keep adding seven days. I'm at day 50 today, 25 yep. more to go. That's awesome. um, so I'm excited about it, but very uh, lucky and fortunate to have uh, Galen Bingham with us today, who is a connection. What I love this. I, I love that when uh, off air, um, you know, before we clicked record offline, I guess um, I asked how you all know each other. And I, and I just love this. Like, we just met George. Like we met like a week ago, right? <laughs> a week ago. Right. right? So, so um, welcome to the show real quick, Galen, and we'll get into introductions and what you do and, and spend 45 minutes or so talking with you about your experiences and, uh, you know, the wisdom and things we can learn from you today. Uh, but welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. I am so excited. I had a great conversation with, with Joe and come to find out we've, we've, passed, we've crossed paths before. Uh, and we just happened to not meet each other then. And mm. it is just awesome to connect and have a conversation around leadership and personal development and all the stuff that I'm really kind of a nerd and a, and a geek about. So mm. no, no, that was that was great. I was glad we were able to catch up a week ago. Yeah, it's kind of odd how it happened. So um, we both worked at Coca-Cola and, and I was talking to another person that worked at Coke as well and says, do you know Galen? And I said, no. And they said, well, he's somebody you need to talk to. So mm. That kind of uh, had the connection. And then I'm looking at Galen and what he's done. He's had a great career. And the things he's passionate about are things that uh, we love to talk on, yeah. on this show about. So I thought it'd be a great guest. And uh, so welcome, Galen. We're excited to have you. Well, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Good. Yeah, the lesson right there in all that. And there, there, mm -hmm. there is a lesson in the last two minutes that I'm taking away, just reaffirming it in my own mind. I encourage all, everybody listening to this. I encourage myself to continue to just try to, you know, and I know networking may have this kind of ugly connotation or whatever, but it, it doesn't really for me, right? It depends on what you're trying to get out of networking. I'm trying to learn and trying to connect right. with people and to try to have great conversations that I can implement personally to my family, to my teams, to my lifestyle or all that. So this idea that you all didn't know each other and you're just networking and somebody says to Joe, Hey, you need to meet so-and-so right? You need to meet Galen. You need to have a conversation with him because you have similar interests, passions. Like I encourage all of it. Not it, it been takes... like, Joe, this guy's smarter than you. You yeah. need to learn something. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was the hidden message. I don't know, but uh, I was glad. But that is it. Like, like yeah. it, I think and LinkedIn is just a great source of that. I encourage people just to get out there and yeah. just have those yeah, connections right. and, yeah. um, and, the, and make those connections because it's about learning and connecting and um, trying to, you know, find your passions and find people of similar interests. So before we, before we clicked record, we were, quickly getting acquainted with Galen or I, I was, and, you know, I just asked where he was from. He's, you're not a native St. Louisan, nor, nor am I. And Joe, Joe is right. Joe, you grew up North of here, Missouri, Missouri, yeah. Yeah, not, Missouri boy. but uh, you mentioned how many States, how many States, how many cities? Yeah. 14 States, 19 cities. And states, uh, 19 cities. Yeah. That witness protection program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you around? Ellen? Are you running around? What's going on? <laughs> but then I did ask, I asked, uh, you know, Nate, I, I grew up as a Nate in, in a military family. So we moved around quite a bit as well. And we were in the Navy. And so I thought that was the, the, the question that you would say, yes, you were in the, you know, a Navy brat or something like that, but not, um, and I've never heard the phrase before. It was the corporate. The, I'm, the, yeah. I'm a corporate, I'm a corporate brat, you know, corporate brat, right? grew up, grew up in a, a um, household where my, my dad was professional for many, many years, spent a lot of time with craft, mm. even before it was craft, it was general foods at the time. And, you know, he moved around a lot for his career. Then I started working and it seemed like every two years I was in a different space, different location, uh, managing customers, that kind of thing. And, and you look mm -hmm. up and, and several hundred years later, you, you, you've moved and you've got yeah. stickers still on your furniture. So, so from zero yeah. to, you know, birth to 18, do you know how many cities you were in? Oh my gosh. 
Um, yeah, probably. Galaxy. Yeah, probably that whole that whole fourteen states, nineteen city probably includes moving with my dad mm-hmm. and then moving on my own. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So a lot of times people talk about you know how you were born and raised and how that like transitions into life. You know. So if you're doing like a lot mm-hmm. of psychology people, sometimes it's like, well, all right, we got to uncover, we got to unpack you know, like your beginnings. So how, what was the impact like for you? Like yeah. what, what were some of the learnings that, that you got out of that? Yeah. So one, one of the things that I've come to understand mm-hmm. is that I have a tendency to meet and make friends pretty quickly mm-hmm. because you got to, if you're moving, yeah, especially if you're moving. months or so, yeah. you got to get in and, and make it happen. <laughs> right, right? Exactly. And uh, my, you know, and I've also noticed that I have a very, very keen focus on how can I, how can I add value? How can I make a difference to the other person that I'm meeting? Mm-hmm. Because the quickest way to make friends is to do something that helps them do what they're yep. trying to do. Yep. And even e- even before I knew that that's what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, when you're a kid on the playground, you you pick out, okay, how can I be this person's friend? Well, yeah. what are they trying to do? And how can I <laughs> right? Got to do that before you get beat up, right? Exactly. Like- <laughs> exactly. So uh, I, I think that's one of the things, that's one of the things that, that, um, has really contributed to the success that I've had in a long corporate career. Yeah, mm. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was the exact question I was going to ask. Having moved around a lot and mm. the success that you're having and being able to lead teams and connect. Yeah, you can't lead teams. You can't have. I'm looking at your bio here on LinkedIn. You know the 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 impact that you've had, the places you've worked, the teams you've led, and the the number of executives you've worked with. Like you can't. Like you're successful, and there's a reason for that. All this other stuff that you've done in your life that has happened to prep you for that, um, and moving around. And that's the exact question I was going to ask uh, that Joe asked uh, mm-hmm. is how how that impacted you. I'm interested in, in what you said. And if this is, uh, I, I don't know the answer to this. We had just met. And, and if I put you on the spot, th- tell me to punt on this question, but moving around, like, it sounds like with what you do for a living, and we'll get into that quite a bit here in the next 40 or so minutes. How, how did your dad play an impact, a role in that? You've mentioned your dad was a, you know, a corporate brat and moving around to all these cities and, you know, playing that corporate game and all that. Um, you know, of, of that modeling or, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you, you all were close and tight and all that. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of, how, how did that play into that as well of, of seeing him play that game and move around and, and how yeah. that impacted your career? So, um, you know, you, you learn a lot as a kid that you don't appreciate. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I my dad would come home from work and, you know, my mom and I, and my brother, uh, at the time, my, my sister came much later, but we would all sit around the table and my dad's talking about his day at work. And it's all boring stuff when you're listening as an eight mm-hmm. or nine year old. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about the people that he met and the conversations that he had and the customers that tried to beat him up and all that other stuff. <laughs> and that just became part of how I understood uh, dinner conversation to be right. Mm. And, you know, he would have the, the joke now is, uh, he'd have these books sitting on his, uh, on his, um, bookshelf that he's reading, uh, trying to get better at his job at the time. Mm-hmm. And then as I grow up, um, uh, you know, I pick up some of those books, not really understanding what they're about. Sure. And, you know, the stuff actually makes sense. And I've got a couple books on my shelf that I think he's still looking for. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. You know, it just becomes part of your life. And, you know, it took, it, it probably wasn't until maybe six or seven years ago that I realized that not everyone had the same kind of upbringing that I had. I, I thought everyone talked about, you mm. know, making deals with, with, uh, customers and and mm. trying to navigate the corporate ladder and you know a manager that doesn't quite understand you that kind of thing and um, that just happened to be kind of special to me. Uh, uh, one funny story that my my brother and my sister and I share is my dad made it a point to teach all of us how to play chess as a mm. kid mm. and come to find out. He didn't know how to play chess. He he learned he learned how to play chess. He was maybe two chapters ahead of us. Uh, <laughs> uh, he learned That's and great. teach us and then uh, he would play us. And when we got to the point where we could beat him, then all of a sudden he wasn't available to play anymore. Uh, uh, but that's just you know part of that forethought that um, became part of my efforts to uh, teach my daughter and share mm-hmm. things with my daughter. 
Uh, so yeah, the older I get, the the smarter my parents were. Mm -hmm. That is that is true. Uh, I like that because you know, I mean, I I do a lot of that same stuff myself now. So having kids mm -hmm. and trying to really connect with them and say, this is why you're learning school. So let me talk to you about some of the situations and. This is why we help people. And this is why, you know, why I speak about leadership a lot, you know, and how does that translate in, into, into real world? So, yeah. Yeah. But when we, when we got going, you said the place that you feel is home to you is Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, I spent, uh, of all of my traveling, I spent 15 years in Oklahoma. That's where I grew up, went to mm -hmm. middle school, high school, college. So yeah, so that, that is, that's where I call home, home base. And so then I, I followed that up with a, if you are a, you know, a Sooner, you know, uh, Oklahoma Sooner, or are you an Oklahoma State Cowboy? And you sighed and <sighs> leaned back and you said, oh, that's a loaded question, George. That is really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're going to get me beat up the next time. <laughs> how I answer that? You know, I'll, I'll answer it this way. You know, I um, ended up going to a um, small private Christian university. Hmm. So I didn't go to either but uh, most of my friends uh, were Oklahoma State Cowboys. And so I kind of uh, I identify more with the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, obviously the days that that I was living there, you had Barry Switzer and the whole Sooner oh, yeah. machine and all that. So it's kind of hard not to root for the Sooners. But I think I'm more identified with the Cowboys. And uh, I've got some Hall of Fame classmates that are Hall of Fame Cowboys. So mm -hmm. that's where I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna place my hat mm -hmm. and hope I don't get beat up by my Sooner friends. Yeah, well, <laughs> they are doing well, I think, in basketball and all that. So so let me ask you. So you you play you did you play college basketball? I thought you said that maybe offline before we got going. That, that yeah, basketball is your sport. You played you played college basketball, and I'm looking at your bio. You played at Southern Nazarene, I'm guessing. Southern Nazarene University and, okay. um, you know, was, uh, uh, I was a nice enough talker that I talked myself onto the team and, and stole a varsity Jersey and, and, uh, got out without too many bruises. So that was, <laughs> that was the extent of my college basketball career. And then, so how, how do, so what, I'm wondering how that plays. It seems like we have a lot of athletes on in the past, uh, you know, the past number of episodes yeah. and, and now I'm starting to get really fascinated by, by that of this, these, this group of people that, you know, are used to athletics, used to competing, used to building teams, used to communicating and problem solving and, you know, and having it be kind of immediate, right? You, you, you know, like uh, I actually gave this example uh, to my team the other day, cause we were done with in software, it's called a sprint 10 days worth of work. So we were done with our 10 days worth of work. And I made the comment of, Hey, in athletics, you actually, the game is over and you get together with your team and your staff and you do a retrospective essentially like what did we do well what didn't we do well and how can we get better and what do we need to work on and things of that nature and i was like and also you get timeouts you get a halftime and so that you know that there's that idea of it so athletic kind of affords all three of us that like we grew up kind of with those values those foundation those the, you know that kind of mindset did that play significantly with you as well? Like when you got out and it looked, you know, you went to Rice University, uh, you know, which was a great, great institution uh, down in Houston. And then um, did it, was it just natural for you to kind of go into that role of, you know, wanting to be a leader, wanting to build teams, wanting passionate about leadership and motivation, inspiration? Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you, sports has been at the backdrop of you know, almost my personal philosophy. Uh, I was uh, I played basketball, but I was undersized for the power forward position that I was playing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're six two guarding six five and six eight, there's not a whole lot that you could do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I determined even then that uh, although I wasn't the scorer, uh, and it was my job to guard the person who scored a lot of points on the other team that um, my mantra was, you might beat me, but you're going to be too tired to brag about it. And I leave scratch marks. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, it's that kind right. of, it was that kind yeah. of attitude, never say die, there's always a way um, that I carried with me into business, that there is always a way. And I, I just, I heard mm. um, John Maxwell say just the other day on a video, he said, effective leaders know that there's always a solution to a problem. They may not know the solution, mm. but they know that there's a solution and that's what keeps them going. Mm. And I absolutely, uh, I absolutely agree with that. 
And uh, even today, not only am I leveraging that philosophy in some of the work that I do as an executive coach and as mm -hmm. an author and trainer and that kind of thing, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm on this brand new board called Game Changers Athletics, uh, mm -hmm. where it's, it's a bunch of executives who are former athletes, and we pull from those same principles and, and go into universities, go into uh, high schools, primarily high schools, and just try to make sure that those life principles from playing sports aren't lost uh, on a generation that might be uh, more weighted on the wins and losses. Wins and losses are really, really important, but those life principles, you, you, you really you really can't miss those life principles. And we just really try to reinforce the importance of teamwork, the importance of leadership, the importance of hard work, uh, delayed gratification. Right. You know, I, I'm going to I'm going to run these four miles and do all these push ups and I'm not going to see the results until another three weeks when we play our, our crosstown rival. Uh, that's kind of a delayed gratification uh, element that uh, could get lost if you're not focused on it. Hmm. So is that similar to like a uh, Tony Dungy NFL coach has something somewhere? Is it kind of in the same, same, I guess, yeah, I think yeah, I, I think it is similar. I think it is similar, kind of, and yeah. uh, you know, all the executives are local mm -hmm. here to uh, St. Louis, and they're all you know, everyone's doing amazing things in their own mm -hmm. right from a business standpoint. Sure, but we all bond around um, you know the high school lessons that we learn from playing mm -hmm. high school sports or college sports or whatever the case might be, and mm -hmm. just a great bunch of guys mm -hmm. and ladies, actually. Yeah. Um, the, the rice, the, the rice university MBA did catch my eye. How do you, how did you end up at rice? Was it just the program they had the MBA? Cause that is a phenomenal school and being down in Texas. And I was interested on the, you know, when you came out, came out of rice, uh, you know, wh where, where you, where you went after you got your MBA at rice and, and the positions that you had and how you kind of groomed that to what you're doing now. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you that the MBA journey has been a long one for me because, um, when I, st I started working and, and knew that, um, all of the people in the position that positions that I aspired to all seem to have MBAs mm. and wherever I would live and work, I would enroll in the best MBA program I could find in the area. Got started in Syracuse, went to Case Western in, in Cleveland and, um, you know, just kind of moved around a bit. And every time you leave programs, you got to start all over. They don't let you transfer like you would in an undergraduate program. So I finally got to Houston mm. and I said, you know, I told my organization, hey, look, we, we I'm either going to do this thing or I'm not. And I don't have a heart to start a fourth program. So uh, if I get into this thing, you can't send me somewhere else. Uh, I got halfway through the program and they wanted to send me to um, Connecticut. Love Connecticut, beautiful place, but I could not start a fourth MBA program. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, just uh, got into the Rice program, loved it. Really, really smart folks. Very literally, I studied with rocket scientists. I mean, they were literally rocket oh, wow. scientists from NASA. And, um, you know, here I am studying right alongside of them and just a great program. And it, 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 it really did expand my understanding of what business was about, mm -hmm. what, what leadership could be and, and added more of a global element to how I was thinking. Yeah. I've heard great, great things about that school, but you, you said something that caught my attention that, um, wrestling with a little bit. Um, this idea of looking around you and seeing the people in positions that you would like to have. Yeah. And that idea of, um, I'm, I'm wrestling with, and not necessarily personally, I'm looking for kind of the narrative in terms of coaching people. Uh, there are people on my team and, and a, a gentleman said this the other day to me just about, you know, the comparison, the, you know, the idea of comparing, and um, I use the phrase, you know, don't co don't compare, compete. Um, but you you looked at these people in positions that maybe you wanted or uh, that you uh, aspired to. Um, but did did you ever get lost in this comparison thing? Like, you know, ah, they have that degree, they have that upbringing, they have those resources, they have those connections, that network, and that's not me. Yeah. But it, but your mindset seemed to say, hey, that's where they're at. This is what enabled them to be in that position. And that's what I'm capable. And I'm capable. Yeah. I just have to, I just have to knock, I have to create a checklist and knock through it. So you didn't, I, I'm guessing on what you said was like, you didn't spend any time comparing. You said, Hey, what do I need to do? 
Yeah. And, so, uh, so, you know, I, I didn't have this fancy philosophy then, but I think that this has fed to it. Uh, I think leaders do three things. Uh, leaders uh, paint a very clear picture of what winning looks like. They have, they know mm. what success looks like and they can art articulate that. Number two, they remove barriers that stand in the way of success. And then number three, they inspire others to get on board with helping them to achieve success. So for me, mm. uh, I, I got some advice from a very early mentor who said, you know, look high up in the organization, determine where you would like to be in 20 years and then get busy trying to trying to get there. Mm -hmm. And so I looked high up in the organization and determined that I wanted to be a senior vice president of sales for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, okay, got it. Uh, I understand what that looks like now. And then I started dissecting the the um, preparation that I would need to get there. It just so happened that all the people that were in those positions seemed to have MBAs, so that seemed pretty important. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just I set out trying to remove the barriers that stood in, that might stand in the way of me achieving that goal, and um, started talking to as many. Um, brilliant people as I could find, uh, tried to help them, trying to get them to help me get to where I needed to be. So identified my my uh, vision of success, identified and removed the barriers that stand in the way, and then try to convince folks that um, this is a worthwhile cause for everybody. Man, I love all three of those. And and I, I really, I love that you said, uh, identify what winning is, because I, 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 I talk that way as well. And I talk about winning and like how we can, um, you know, win, win, win the sprint, the 10 days, win, win today, win this, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And I think that is so important to identify what winning is in that leadership kind of role of, you know, and then why, why do you think that is so important? Because I, I'm just kind of naturally to that. I'm competitive. Yeah. I want, I want, um, I want our team our team in this software world at this global company I am at to be the best team in the company. Like I, and I make no apologies for that. I'm like, this is like, I want us to be the best. I want us to compete. I want to know what winning looks like. Why? But when you go and consult and when you, uh, you know, and when you speak, um, why, why is, why is that so important for a leader to identify what winning is? Yeah. Because I, I believe that, uh, everyone shows up every day trying to do a good job. I, I don't think that there's anyone in any organization that says, how can I screw things up today? Everyone wants to do a good job. Mm. However, if the leader doesn't paint a clear picture of what success and what a good job looks like, you're going to have folks meandering around trying to do a good job, just not knowing what that is. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I believe it's vitally important. Only the leader can do this. It's the leader's responsibility to paint a clear picture of this is true north. This yeah. is what success looks like. When we get to this, this is the promised land. And then that way, when I show up on Tuesday trying to do a good job, I know what a good job looks like um, because my leader has shown that to me. And that's not a one-time activity. Uh, you, you've got to continue to paint that picture. You've got to continue to demonstrate that that's possible. Um, because if I'm doing it right as a leader, if I'm doing it right, that vision's got to got to be a little scary, right? Mm. Uh, as I like to say, um, that vision's got to make you pee in your pants just a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, does right. it? You're so probably I, you're probably not not shooting high enough. You're probably playing it a little too safe. So, Galen, I know you work with a lot of a lot of CEOs, and I, and I agree with what you said. I mean, right? When you got to have a clear vision, you got to have goals. I mean, and they say a lot of times CEOs are going to repeat themselves a lot. I mean, like, is there, do you provide some sort of rule of thumb? I mean, how often are these saying these kind of things? You know, if you're out there leading a major team, I mean, how often, what's, what's too much, what's that kind of look like? What do you tell people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, from here, I, I go back mm -hmm. to my days at Coca-Cola, right. And uh, we know uh, one of the things that Coca-Cola does incredibly well is that it markets beverages. Mm -hmm. And I know from that, uh, that they try to repeat a message seven times. It takes seven times mm -hmm. for a consumer to hear the message. You can say the exact same mm -hmm. thing, but the seventh time is when people will wake up and say, huh, really interesting. Where did that come from? Yeah. And so I don't know if that's an exact number, uh, but I just know that you've got to say it a lot. People have to know that that's your message when you come around. 
uh, just like my friends know that every conversation I have with them, at some point, I'm going to be talking about the importance of leadership. That's just mm-hmm. kind yeah, of part no, of the That's picture. true. Yeah, you're right. I mean, oftentimes the joke like with Coca-Cola is, is they're basically a marketing company that just so happens to sell beverages, right? And and mm-hmm. But they, it's that same message, right? And that's how they get people to to drink their, their products and, and it works. And, and really, you know, I mean, leaders have to do that kind of same thing. In my opinion, you, you always have to be talking about the goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to have a clear, clear picture of what you're trying to achieve. Definitely like when you talked about expire or inspiring others, right at all. And honestly, one of the most things and George and I talk about this quite a bit is removing barriers. And yeah. to me, that's kind of like falls under that servant leadership model you know, where that's, that's her job. Sometimes it's, maybe it's financial barriers, maybe it's barriers with other functions. Right. And, uh, remission obstacles. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. When, when, go ahead. One of the, one of the tests. And again, I, I learned this from my, my early days. Um, you're, you're probably not old enough to remember the Roberto Guzueta days, uh, at the company. Uh, but one of the things that we used to say then is that mm-hmm. the test the test of a good leader is how far into the organization can people repeat your mission. Mm-hmm. Ain't that the right? And if and if they mm-hmm. only if if the CEO is the only person that knows the mission, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. But I love that. That's the great. Entry level uh, mail clerk guy or the uh, janitor, if they can repeat what your company is there mm-hmm. for, what your yep. mission is, yep. that's the sign of leadership. And yep. so. Um, mm. You know, again, just that's a test of leadership. Yeah, I think it speaks to the culture piece too, right? I mean, if everybody knows what our true north is and we're all going after that, that makes it a lot easier. Means means you got a good culture and you got everybody mm-hmm. singing in the same tune, right? Yeah, and headed the right direction. So, yeah the 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 sport the the thing that I'm thinking about with mm-hmm. with with in relation to sport with what we're talking about here is. You know, I've, I've observed a lot of basketball practices in my day from a lot of coaches, from hall of fame coaches to third grade practices. Basketball is basketball. It's, you know, the, the, when I, I was fortunate that I got to watch Larry Brown and the Detroit Pistons for a number of years practice, they're doing the same stuff. The local high school down the streets doing it just because it's at a higher level doesn't mean anything they're doing. Basketball is basketball, but what's different about the elite coaches, the elite leaders is what they emphasize at those practices, what they hung their hat on, what that you could walk away from that practice, that workout and say, that was the most important thing to them. Like, you know, ball reversal, staying in a stance, communicating, toughness, enter, like whatever it is, right? You just knew that that coach emphasized something different and was locked in on certain things. And I think the same thing with exactly what you're saying. You get what you emphasize as a leader. You get what you emphasize. You get what you tolerate, those sorts of things. But if, you know, if the leader, if the CEO of the president is saying X and it's always that, right? I mean, everybody's going to have these values. You know, not, I'm not saying every company's got the same values, but there's probably like 20 of them that everybody kind of clings to. Right. And, but it's what you emphasize and it's, and then I guess, you know, how often you emphasize it. Is it an everyday thing? When you talk about rolling in and identifying winning, and if I were a CEO, are, are you sitting there going, Hey, George, what's, what's winning in 24 months? And then, and then what's winning in eight months and what is winning and how, how can we take that big win? Is that, is that how you would lock in on it and develop, you know, the, the, this, this team or this organization? Like, Hey, what are we, what's the big win? 24 yeah. months, 12 months. And then does every other win every other day, every segment of time then match that win and getting to that, that Super Bowl there? Yeah, I, I work, I work from the vision back. Right. So let, let's start with what does success look like? Is that is that market share? Mm-hmm. What is that thing? What is paradise? Mm-hmm. And what are the emotions that go uh, that would be that would surround that? Mm-hmm. Because believe it or not, um, the human brain doesn't understand information until it puts into uh, until it puts it into images. And so if I can create that imagery for my organization, I'm making it easier for them to understand the metrics I'm trying to create and they can get excited about the emotions. And so I will spend if I had three days with an executive, Mm -hmm. uh, I would spend probably a day and a half, maybe even two, just trying to make that winning tangible. How can I make it visible, visual? Uh, How can I make it tangible? What do you get when you win? 
right? Do you maximize your bonus? What are you going to buy with that bonus check, right? What's on the other side of, of all this work that you're getting ready to do? Because people will fight harder for that, for that emotion than they will for this number, mm. right? Because they don't understand the number, but they understand uh, the emotion of sending your daughter to college, right? With mm. the money, that kind yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. and so I'll spend a lot of time understanding what does winning look like what does success look like? And then how can people start getting on board with helping you to achieve that? Because uh, as, I, as I said before, uh, if we're doing this vision thing right, it's going to be so big that you're probably not going to be able to do it by yourself. Mm. <laughs> That's where the leadership thing comes in. Right. Uh, mm. If it's scary enough, there are probably going to be some barriers in the way. We've got to identify what those barriers are likely going to be. And then let's develop a strategy to get around them uh, so that we can get to that get to that spot on the map. How, how in front of, uh, so when we start talking about barriers, um, my mind is thinking about, hey, we're, we're the leader needs to be out in front of all this because ultimately we have to keep people focused on the win, right? And how we're going to win and what that success is. And there's going to be all these roadblocks and impediments that come our way. And we need somebody just out in front saying, hey, you all just stay focused, just stay focused. We're still going to win. I'm going to clear all this junk out um, just to keep people focused. But how in front does that leader need to be in front of that? Are we thinking about like, hey, six months from now, this could happen or this could happen? Or is it like how, how in front of all those roadblocks do we need to be in, in thinking about those? Uh, I think my answer to that question is yes. Yeah, right. Just be out front, right? It, it, it's based on the scale of your business. Um, you know, I, I just um, uh, finished uh, owning a restaurant. Uh, it's a fast food, frozen yogurt type concept. One, you know, I just own one location, and but I was the dude, right? It was me, my wife, mm. had uh, fifteen people, all under the age of seventeen, uh, trying to run this business. And I, you know, I was supposedly the leader. So it was my job to start thinking what's going to be happening nine months from now, what's going to be happening a year from now, right? Mm -hmm. That was the scope of my business. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the CEOs I speak with, uh, they're, they're dead if they're only thinking a year out, they've got to be mm -hmm. thinking three to five years out, right? Some of my larger corporate um, uh, CEOs, they're thinking 10, 15 years out. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I've heard, I've read uh, articles and stories about in the um, in the Asian communities, Asian business communities. They write 100 year business plans, right? Mm -hmm. So they're thinking generation, gener generationally, mm -hmm. where is this business going to be in four generations? Wow. So the answer to your question, from my perspective, is yes, as far out as you can think. That's so is that me? Am I in a perpetual state of trying to? Of, of being this pessimist of saying, Hey, what, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly, am I always in that never ending state as a leader of trying to identify how the wheels are going to fall off? Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily would think naturally what's going to go wrong. I'm also thinking where's, where's the opportunity going to be. Right. I, I think it was Greg, mm. Gretzky, that said, I skate to where the puck's going to be. Right. right? So I'm always thinking, where's the puck going to be in five years? Where's the puck going to be in seven years? And how can I make sure that my organization is, is getting ready for that? Uh, you know, you, you talk about basketball practice. Uh, I, I spent a year and a half coaching my daughter. Uh, you know, I think she was eight years old at the time. Uh, and I was coaching her on the basketball court. And we spent the entire time practicing fundamentals. Because what I believed is that when it comes time to get to the game, there's going to be so much emotion swirling around at the game mm. that they're only going to be able to remember three or four things. And so I've got to spend time in practice getting them ready for executing those three or four things when grandma's in the stands taking pictures and everyone's screaming, <laughs> and yelling, mm. you know, the other, yeah, you know, I've mm. got to think past that. Uh, mm. But it's, it's that work in practice, as you were saying earlier, it's that work in practice that gets you ready for the game. Uh, I think it was Junior Seo uh, that said, um, I, I get I get paid to practice. I play games for free. Mm. Right. The game time, that's the fun time. But practice, that's where you actually do the work. Mm. What what are what are uh, putting you on the spot with a list here? 
What are those fundamentals in building a team and building a company and identifying winning? What are those fundamentals that we should be thinking about as we build our teams and as we build leaders? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of riff here. For yeah. You. Right. Yeah. I put you on the spot with it. I, I think, I think the, I think it's really, really important for you to understand the business that you're in. That's the first thing. And, and, and I say that sounds easy, but a lot of companies don't really understand the business that they're in. So, uh, Joe, we, we can talk about our, our shared experience of representing the Coca-Cola brand. Mm -hmm. And some may think, oh, well, you're in the business of, of selling soft drinks. Well, actually not. That's not the business we're in. Mm -hmm. We're in the business of helping restaurateurs or, or uh, helping grocery stores solve their problems in a way that benefits both of us. That's the business that I'm in. And the soft drinks just happens to be a product that I use in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's just one example. But I think it's really important for for leaders to understand the business that they're in what is the thing that you're there to do how does the world um cry a little bit if you go away and if the world doesn't cry a little bit if you go away you may end up going away a lot faster than you think so that's the first thing the mm -hmm. second thing um i think that you need to find a way to communicate to folks how you know the role they play and how they can help you because everyone wants to help, they just don't know how unless you tell them. So you gotta you gotta make sure everyone understand the role that they play, the the, the how they contribute to the team's success. Uh, and then I, I think the last thing, last fundamental thing, is you gotta make sure that they're resourced uh, properly and, and resourced appropriately. Because if they if they know what winning looks like, they know what they got to do to win but they don't have what they need in order to help you win. Again, we're all gonna be sitting around twiddling our thumbs, uh, wishing for a better day. And uh, that's fun, that, that just doesn't help us at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really kind of liked your, your first example there. I mean, cause I, I think a lot of companies unfortunately don't hit the target in terms of trying to tell people why you're really here. And to me that ties into the culture. You know, you're not here necessarily to sell these drinks. Like, what is the impact you're having in the community? I mean, we're we're creating fun times. You know, we're making an impact in the city. <clears throat> Especially when COVID hit, a lot of a lot of people are like, "Why in the hell we're here? Like, why am I here?" And you know, I can remember talking to you know frontline employees and saying, "You're here because if this restaurant doesn't get product from us, they may go under." We provide a lot of profit for these people and they need us. And mm. if we don't come through and try to live out, I mean, we're going to do it as safe as we can. We're going to make every effort safe, but we're, we're trying to protect the overall greater good of, you know, our communities that we serve, you know, mm. it's much bigger than what we're providing at this point. And, you know, so we I kind of always try to use that approach, especially, you know, so many small business owners, like you were saying, they're, they, if they don't have the products that we, we service, they may not feed their families. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's a bigger deal than just you coming in and clocking, a, clocking in and clocking out every day. That's and, it. That's it. Exactly. You know? And mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you, I, I've, I've had the uh, privilege of sitting on both sides of the table and mm -hmm. um, that business ownership space looked a whole lot easier when it was someone else doing it. <laughs> it became, yeah. it became you had that restaurant. <laughs> I had right. my money on the line. It was a whole, it was a whole different story. And I just, yeah. I respect folks that uh, can do that well for a long period of time because mm -hmm. you're right. It's, 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 it's more than just um, a, um, a, a margin number, mm -hmm. just, uh, a budget number that you missed. Uh, it's, it's lives. It's, it's livelihood. So you, you, you didn't have any experience in that, in doing that and getting involved in that type of business. Yeah. I, I advised restaurateurs, but sure. I've never done it before. And it, okay. like I said, it looked easy. Right. <laughs> so my question would be then, as you get into that for the first time and you've advised people in this space before, but now you're in that seat, you're the one calling the shots and you have this perspective on, of consulting other people that are in this space, but now you are in the captain's chair. So what, what are the lessons, what are the leadership lessons or business lessons learned once you're in that chair, having to make those decisions? Yeah. Um, it, well, uh, let me first, let me share with you the lesson that it reinforced for me. Mm. 
uh, because one of the things that I used to coach folks uh, about a lot is that value is defined by the customer. The customer determines what's valuable to them. It's about their mm -hmm. metrics that they believe are important. And, and we just need to find a way to fit into that. And so in the business that I owned, the magic number was 220. I needed to see 220 people every day come through my doors. And if Wednesday came and I only saw 215, that meant that Thursday I needed to see 225. That's the magic number. Mm. Um, and so all this other stuff that salespeople would come and talk to me about, if they weren't talking in terms of getting 220 people or more through my door, they really were wasting my time. Right. And so that's something that was reinforced. Uh, the other thing that I did learn and, and, and really became to uh, uh, appreciate is the difference between strategy in the boardroom and operational excellence. Uh, I, I usually say on Tuesday. Right. Mm -hmm. We can talk about all the strategy we want to in the boardroom. But on Tuesday, um, my employees might not show up. What am I going to do? On Tuesday, I might not get the delivery from a supplier. What what am I going to do? Right on Tuesday, mm -hmm. my equipment might go might break down, and if I don't get the equipment back up and running, it really doesn't matter what all the marketing is because I mm -hmm. can't, I can't make any money. Right, so it's that tangible operational. How do we make sure things are running on Tuesday? I don't know why I pick on Tuesday, but I always do. <laughs> um, and just the number of things that could go wrong that I never imagined. Mm. And then being, so being, being forward thinking, you know, being ahead, trying to clear your own impediments, your own obstacles and, and, and blocks and being, making sure you're overcome that. And you're thinking two or three weeks ahead, if not six, eight months ahead. Um, one of the things that we do, and we're, we're rolling in on 41 minutes here with just a few minutes remaining. And I really appreciate your time and perspective. Um, and, and again, I really like the idea of just affirming of you're affirming a lot of the things like I believe that are in my core. And so that idea of like, hey, I just I started this business and it just kind of affirmed things, a uh, number of things for for me. Um, one of the things I do believe in and Joe and I've talked about this a fair amount is um, you are what you celebrate, making sure you have people in your life that you can celebrate with, that you're close with, that you know, um, that when things go well, you can reach out to people and, and celebrate those, those wins though, that, that was much like what we're talking about. Um, I think, th I'm sure that you, um, you know, um, don't puff your chest up too much with the successes that you had. I've read your bio here. You've, you know, you're, uh, been to some of the best schools. You've lived in a number of cities. You've impacted a number of people. You've worked at, you know, uh, all these companies and all that. But what I'm interested in hearing is your proudest personal achievement. <laughs> something that something that and most people always spin it to well our team did this or my team did this but I, but when you reflect back at your you know personal you know and professional career and you're sitting back saying you know what this this is something that i did and it was you know it, it had this level of impact for me or we accomplished this or nobody thought we could do this and we knocked it out of the park um what, what, what would that be what is what is that one celebration moment that you're really proud of of what you've done with your career yeah, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot um, around this is uh, we were, I was in Detroit, Michigan, was managing a team of entry level salespeople that literally we, rec we recruited uh, folks from college campuses, entry level. And it was my job uh, to prepare them, get them ready for promotion into the company, into more significant sales positions. And um, I, I stepped into the role. And in two years, I had my team that I had just recruited and, and was ready for them to move on. And I had two people on my team get skip level promotions. So they skipped over the position that was immediately ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And they went mm -hmm. to the position above that. Uh, and if it happens once, then that's, that's, that could be luck. If it happens twice, then there's something in the sauce. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I was just really excited about that. And now... The, those people that were on that original team, they're now doing amazing. Th they're continuing to do amazing things. But for me, that was really about the focus that we put on development. And um, I, I used to call that lazy leadership uh, because uh, at the time I was saying, if I don't train my people, then every time there is a customer negotiation or a big problem, I got to get out and go fix it. Mm. And so my approach was, how can I 
train my people, develop my people to do what I can do and even more so that hopefully eventually I can go play around a golf because I don't have to be there in order to make keep things running. How many people did you work with uh, that were you training to get you know those entry level positions? Uh, we we always kept a team of 10. Mm. So, you know, you bring in 10 and you promote one and you bring in another one. So we always kept a, we always yeah. kept with 10. So when you have this group of 10, what was it about these people? What was it about the two people? Your, your message is the same. There's 10 of us. I've got the same message that, you know, Joe's got over here. Right. And, and Joe just got that position. So there's something in those people that they heard your message. They, you know, they trusted the message. You know, were they doing something different that separated them from other people to to skip that one position? Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, something I talk about a lot is um, a talent um, people have, but want to. I call it want to. You got to have this desire. I can't make you do anything. You got to have this, and I'll go back to the way I started. You got to have this attitude of. You, you you might outscore me, but you're going to be too tired to brag about it, and I leave scratch marks, mm. right? <laughs> and if you don't if you don't have that, I can't give it to you. So I think throughout my years, maybe even then, uh, you know, we got really good at at identifying that want to, uh, and that's something that's personal. That's something that shows up in a variety of places. Is you you can't turn it off and turn it back on. Yeah, uh, you just have it. Uh, and uh, all of those people that uh, were able to skip level, they wanted to get to that. They wanted to be the best in their space. Um, you know, I talk a lot about uh, how I believe that everyone is designed to be the greatest in the world at something. Mm. And therefore, your life mission is to find your thing so that you can get on with celebrating being the greatest in the world at that something. Mm. And um, that's just, again, it hasn't been proven, but that's something that I haven't been convinced otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's what we identified uh, early on with that with that team in Michigan. Mm. That's great. I spent 10 years in Michigan. So there's the other, that's a, uh, um, a great place up there in that Detroit area and, um, and surrounding the areas. Um, do you have any children? I do. I have. A, thank you for this opportunity to talk about my daughter. I've got yeah. an eight-year-old daughter. And How old is she? She's 18. 18. And, uh, that was the other thing that I'm tempted yeah. to talk about a lot. Uh, I'm really proud of the fact that she's legitimately applying to schools that I would not have had the guts <laughs> the application, right? But she's got a legitimate shot. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let me, I mean, I always have one last question. I'm interested with your background in leadership and what you've accomplished, the places you've been, the companies you've been a part of, and the people you've impacted. As your daughter now at 18 is applying at colleges and about to go out on her own, what are some of those core leadership thing values that you've tried to instill with her that you were just crossing your fingers? Like, I hope she was listening to this. I hope she is clinging to this. Like, cause she's, if she's applying at, at those level of schools, she's got it right in front of her, right? She's got it. She's got it right in front of her, but what does she need to carry with her when she walks out those doors in August or September to start out by herself? Yeah. You know, uh, anything is possible, right? Mm -hmm. If you want it, you've got, you got to have the want to, but anything is possible. And then number two, you have to start with, um, you have to start with the goal and work back, start with the vision and work back or whatever that vision is. Look mm -hmm. at the person that's in that, that's currently in that position or something close to that and then work back, you know, deconstruct, mm -hmm. um, uh, reverse engineer what it takes to get there, uh, and, uh, believe in yourself and believe in family. Does daddy have a preference what school she goes to? <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got categories of schools, but I don't have any one particular school yeah. uh, that she absolutely Oklahoma has. State. Yeah, Oklahoma State, right? <laughs> you know, is it going to be a center or cowboy? What is it? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but she, she is, uh, you know, most talks that I give, I usually end up talking about my daughter, which is kind of funny, but um, she is legitimately doing everything that I had had uh, hoped to do at some point. So she's got the goods. That's great. Well, Thank I really sure. appreciate your time and really appreciate the connection uh, that Joe's given us to, to be connected with you, to hear your message. I think there's another hour or two in this conversation uh, that I'd like to do, you know, uh, in the future. Um, how can people track you down? Galen is, is LinkedIn. I'm looking at your LinkedIn bio yeah. here. Is that, is that the best way? Are there, do you have a website? Do you have any other social media channels that you want to plug? 
Yeah, so the website, great way to get a hold of me. You can go to galenbingham.com or you can go to killglobalcoaching.com, K-I-L-N, globalcoaching.com, uh, and all mm -hmm. kinds of ways to get a hold of me. But the, the most fun way to get a hold of me uh, is by um, going to my new podcast called Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Oh, my word. You oh, that is the name. That's better than Out from the Cube. Dang it. Dang it. You're more creative than me. You get to hear advice. You get to hear my voice. And I'm doing interviews with leaders from all around the world. We're actually doing some interviews in the UK right now. And just great advice. Sitting around, uh, listening to great jazz as we drink uh, incredible whiskey. And uh, it's just a great way to stay. Whiskey, jazz, and leadership. It comes up right when I type in the J-A-Z-Z -Z after whiskey. Good for you. How long have you been doing your podcast? Okay, so this is my second podcast. This one okay. uh, I just started in January, uh, and I've got I don't know seventeen episodes as a, as of this recording, and I think a thousand downloads already. Uh, I've got another podcast that I had for about two years uh, called the Leadership Toolbox. Uh, I think there are like seventy episodes there, and and maybe one hundred and fifty downloads, and I think most of those are from my mom. Uh, but <laughs> leadership, uh, definitely my heart, and. Ah. Uh, people can tell that I'm having fun. Now, do you have a musical background or do you just like jazz? I just, I just love jazz. Okay. I just love jazz. Okay. Cause if, if you said that you uh, play the guitar or anything like that, we just would talk for another hour. Okay. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm learning the guitar. I'm uh, learning the guitar, man. Uh, I am too. So I've got them right behind me and I haven't touched them in a while, but boy, I do. I love jazz guitar. And uh, love jazz. Okay, well, so, I got to love ask, whiskey. Before, love whiskey. Love leadership. So before yeah. we close, I got to yeah. ask uh, Eric Clapton or Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, I would probably go with Clapton as probably one of my favorites. Um, I, those type. Yeah, I love those. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big Slash guy. I love Eric Clapton. I listen to Joe Bonamassa a lot. Um, I love country guitar as well. So, but probably out of those Clapton, I probably have spent the most. Now I love Stevie Ray Vaughan, but I listen to Clapton more than, than I do Stevie Ray Vaughan and probably study him more, watch more videos and things like that on YouTube about how he plays. So, um, I do. Yeah. I love, I can talk about that. I don't know much about the guitar and I can't play too well, but I do enjoy talking about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's great. So I'll make sure that, um, all of Galen's information is in our show notes so you can reach out to him. Um, I'm looking at his podcast here. It is called Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. A great name for a, for a podcast. And um, Gail, I really appreciate you know, the hour or so with you and really appreciate your insights. And um, you know, uh, what a great hour with you. Fantastic. I've enjoyed it as well. And, uh, and I'll definitely, uh, I'd love to come back. Thanks, All right. Well, yep, really thank you. It. And everybody else have a great rest of your week. And we will uh, talk to you all soon. Thank you.